Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. So let's begin the podcast with you today. Uh, Pedro Ballesteros, Master of Wine. Um, we've just finished the Vinitaly International Academy uh, education course. Uh, what were your takeaways from the Vinitaly International Academy as one who is also already a Master of Wine? How did it go? How did you see it? Well, I think it's a, it is an excellent initiative. I think it's to make Italian wines much more attractive by making those wines, by explaining those wines, by helping a, a number of people to have a much deeper knowledge on the Italian wines and the things that you know, you tend to love them more. So I think it's a very intelligent approach. It has nothing to do with uh, promotion. It's real uh, education, formation. It is just to, to trust that the raw material of Italian wines is so interesting that it, it is enough if there is a good number of intelligent people all over the world that are knowledgeable about Italian wines. And it was very interesting for me. I was studying a lot and there were some difficult things and Italy is one of those infinite countries that you never know the whole of Italy and that you are discovering new varieties and new expressions and it's really fascinating. I mean, you made a very good point there about the complexity of Italian wine. Um, how do you, you know, from someone who's obviously very good at studying, how do you help a student that is a bit stuck? Do you have any just tips? Yes, uh, I, I, I would say, I think that the key element for studying is, it, it is motivation. And the motivation is not something that is a, a fixed point of reference. It's something that uh, goes up and down, up and down. And we have to understand this. We have to love uh, ourselves enough to know that some days we are not going to be very good at the studies, or other days we are going to be much better than what we could anticipate. But we have to keep in mind uh, a certain uh, a certain motivation. We, we need to know what we are looking for. And I think that the other crucial element, uh, many, many students, they fail because they, they don't consider this element. And with wine, it's even more important, is that you don't need to study thinking, I, I will be that and that and that. You need to enjoy what you study, because if you don't enjoy what you are learning about the wines, uh, even if sometimes are difficult things, there is not any point on studying about wine. Then you can decide to study, I don't know, administrative uh, right or, or, or whatever thing, no? but uh, wine has to be about uh, enjoyment. And then there is not any merit. Then if you enjoy what you are doing, what you are learning, is something that is part of your life and you, and you care much less about the result and then the results are normally are much better. Okay. You um, may have lectured on Canonau to the Vinitaly International Academy students uh, within the past uh, few months. Do you have any words on how this particular grape variety connects the populations of the Mediterranean or brings us closer together. Yes, the, the Canonau is the is the, in the Spanish Grenache, the French Grenache, 
there are of course many discussions where the where the grape variety was born, etc. This is not very important. The important thing is is a, a, a grape variety that has been for many many years considered as something not very interesting compared to Cabernet, Merlot, these other kind of varieties. Many people used to say it was uh, oxidative and things like this, and it was only after in poor regions of Europe, in Sardinia, in Aragon, in Spain, the people, they have access to technology to, to look at their land in a different way than Canonao, Garnacha became uh, a very noble grape variety and capable of making very good uh, wines. Garnacha has been in many parts of the world. Eh? It has been traveling from Aragon to the west to Rioja and to Extremadura, to the east to Catalonia, to the north to Chateauneuf de Pape and to the Rhone Valley, uh, Sardinia, you have the Tao Rosso in, in Veneto, uh, there is a lot of Grenache in Australia. There used to be much more, now there is less, but there is very high quality uh, wines there with Grenache, also in California. It's, it's, it's amazing how much Grenache you can find all over the world. And it's amazing how much of a different character it has. You know, I always say Cabernet Sauvignon is an egocentric character. In any place in the world, Cabernet would be Cabernet. And you can spot this is a Cabernet wine, and you don't care where the wine is, it's Cabernet wine. Garnacha, Grenache, Canonau, it is a conditional, conditional altruistic personality. It's altruistic because Canonau is going to tell you where the vineyard is. Not, uh, it's not going to tell you I'm Canonau. It's going to tell you I'm coming from that particular vineyard. vineyard. And it's conditional because if you want to get a very high yield, if you want to get uh, very modern expressions out of Canonau, if you don't respect the very nature of Canonau, you will not have very noble wines. It's very conditional because you need low yields, old vines. It's very important that the, that the vines in this climate so, so dry, they have many years to explore the soil, and then you will have the personalities of a place. Because of that, at the end of the day, it's not so important if the, the wine is Canonau, Grenache, or Garnacha. It's important that the, that the wine is coming from that particular area. And Sardinia in this, they, I think they have excelled in, in producing very good Canon now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that, about um, it being a great vehicle when it's grown well of, of terroir expression. And, uh, yeah, often it's in a grape that's a little bit, as you say, ignored and abused. Um, but, yeah, interesting to hear your point on that. Now, let's um, talk about uh, Cava. How are you um, working to elevate the profile of Cava, which is – sparkling wine on the world stage well <laughs> this is a good question <laughs> because it's a difficult question <laughs> cava was invented as champagne it was called champagne at the time it was the catalan uh, imitation of uh, champagne uh, the important thing there was to follow the methode champenoise eh? the second fermentation in bottle then it was a big success in national, at national level. There was a, a middle class 
there was a thirsty of bubbles, uh, and bubbles are very important when one thinks that the, the life is getting better. And little by little, the companies in Cava, mostly Codornio and Frisianet, they developed very good uh, technical skills, and they started looking at the vineyard, and they realized that the autochthonous grape varieties of the Penedes, uh, Charello, Parellada, Macabeu, they were uh, ideal for having very good quality uh, sparkling wines. Then some small companies started also investigating on very long aging time on the lease in the bottle for Cava, and there was a new quality that was discovered. And then finally, now there are some Cavas, Recaredo, Gramona, that are in very particular spots, very in single vineyards, and are an amazing quality. Cavas that they need to be aged on the lease for at least uh, eight to 10 years, even 12 years. And then they, they, there is something wonderful in the bottle. The problem for Cava is that most Cava is an affordable, uh, good, good quality wine with the Metot Champenoise that is maybe too expensive for, for, the, for the wine, but it's not very ambitious in this quality. And the small producers that they would like to be identified according to their quality, they feel a little bit uh, lost with so big producers producing very cheap uh, wine. Cava now is in a strong competition with Prosecco, Prosecco, I think they have been uh, very smart. Prosecco is, uh, is, uh, is amazingly interesting as a, as a, as a wine. I, I will speak on this. But Cava, now there are a lot of tensions there. There, uh, there is a number of wineries. They have created uh, a private association. They are getting out of the appellation of origin. At the same time, that Cava is improving a lot because they have created a new regulation for specifying the single vineyards for higher requirements on quality. And now you have very, very good cavas that are of extremely high quality. But the real thing is that very, very good cava is maybe 10% of the production. The other thing is a, a commercial quality wine that is made according to the Metos Champenois, etc. This is always an argument. But at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's a, a simple, good wine but not very ambitious. It has not so much to do with champagne in this, in this respect. In this, Cava is competing with Prosecco, but Prosecco is, uh, is wonderful. It's, uh, and this is, these are things that the Italians, they never say about their country. Italy is the only country in the world that has developed a very good market strategy by cooperatives. The cooperatives in Emilia-Romagna in Veneto are really world leaders. The Pinot Grillo, the Prosecco, the Lambrusco are inventions by cooperatives. This is something that deserves a lot of respect. When you are creating a lot of wealth in the regions, very well distributed wealth among all the vine growers, thanks to the cooperative, and you are having a product that commercially is extremely uh, well defined, and it ha is having a, a huge success in the world markets, I think this is something that uh, deserves a lot of admiration. I would like to see this much more in, in my country, in Spain, in France, 
in many other countries in which you see that the successes are just a private firm uh, with a different thing and that the the wealth of wine is not so well distributed as in, as in Italy. It's interesting that you focused at the end on that social element, the socioeconomic element about the about the wealth being spread more or less evenly across the board. And uh, um, that's something that in wine we often forget the importance of that. And um, it's a very, very strong point that you've made there about um, about the need for that to to uh, to continue. Absolutely, and, and this is it is not only because of a, a social concern. It's, it's simply just to have a, a certain vision of the business. If you are having the bank growers that they have good quality of life, that they can think that one of their daughters or sons can become a bank grower and that this is going to be a job with a lot of dignity and a lot of hope and many good things, you are paying well the grapes, you will keep a certain level of quality. If you are simply exploiting the growers, as it is the case often in Spain, paying nothing for the grapes, then sooner or later the whole business is going to disappear. For me, the big difference between Prosecco and Cava, in Spain, the people say, no, because Cava is better than Prosecco because we use the Champenoise method and the Prosecco is the Charmant method. I, I don't know what. And they always say, no, Prosecco is much better simply because in Prosecco, they pay 0.98 euro per kilo of grapes, more than 16,000 uh, kilos per hectare. And in Cava, they pay 32 cents of an euro per kilo of grapes yields of 10,000 kilos per hectare. One business model is sustainable, the other not. Okay, that's um, talking about wine. Let's talk about, about wine judging. What are your impressions of the, of the wine judging circuit? Um, somewhere in the world, every single day, there will be a wine competition being held. Um, what are your views on that and your impressions? Well, I think that uh, wine judging is a, is a good idea. Is, uh, if it is good, well organized, I think it's a very good uh, indication to the consumers. It's also a very good feedback for the producers. But not all wine competitions are the same. And I think that now there are far too many wine competitions and I would say that uh, I would doubt in many wine competitions which is the point of paying attention uh, to what this judge is, is doing when sometimes they simply are uh, ticking boxes and saying this is 86 or this is 92 and no comments and no discussion and no knowledge about the wines. No, I, I think that producers, um, consumers and distributors, they should be quite uh, strict as per the requirements for a wine competition. Now is also the time for the wine producers and, and for the distribution, the, the distribution to say, I like this competition, I want to know how it is, and I don't like this other competition because the judges, they don't have the, the profile or because the system is not, uh, is not very good. And then for the consumers, you can have a wine. I'm sure that if you send any correct, good wine to 20 competitions, you will get a medal in, 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 in at least one or two of them. And this is something just to put a question. I think that is important now 
that uh, there is a certain movement that is certifying the quality of wine competitions. And this is not just to say this is a competition according to OIV rules, uh, that me personally, I'm completely against those rules. It's, uh, it's a nonsense. Uh, the OIV rules is uh, you cannot speak with anybody, you know nothing about the wine, you are not allowed to comment on the wine, you have to tick boxes and you have to, to, to say how much, uh, what do you think of the color of the wine? How can you think about the color of a wine? Which is indication of quality on this, no? And, and many other things, no? Um, but I think it's important. I think there are so many wines so many small producers that you need competitions. But I think that competitions now, there are far too many and there should be a kind of a, a quality seal for wine competitions. Mm-hmm. You mean for the judges or for the competition itself? For both. Okay. So what is an you know, if, if you're sitting down at a table and you've got three days of tasting ahead of you and you're going to have three or four people on your on your table... What qualities do you want to see uh, in those judges? The first quality I would like to see is a, is a little bit of experience. And if they don't have experience, I would like to see, and it was my case many, many years ago, last century, when there was at the International Wine Challenge, the judges, uh, they were classified according to categories. They were the associate judge, judge somebody who was being trained in order to become a judge, the judge, the senior judge, and the super jurors. And this is, I think it's already a very good thing to have a classification of judges and to indicate the judges you have to learn and you have to follow a learning process. Then the second thing I would like to see with the judges is their capacity to work in teams and to put their ego out. Just to concentrate on the wine I couldn't care less if a wine judge likes or dislikes a wine. This is of no interest whatsoever. The important thing is that a wine judge is spotting a number of characteristics of this wine and is measuring these characteristics against a certain pattern. And then the third and as important uh, as the other two characteristics is that the I would like judges that are humble people, members of a team, and that they realize that they are just vehicles for elaborating an opinion on a wine, an informed opinion on a wine, and that they are so likely to be wrong in 20% of the cases that it is very much in their interest to speak with other people that have also left their ego out of the table in order to taste and retaste, in order to consider all the elements of wine. We, the people who are judging wines, we have a, a fundamental problem. It's a problem that didn't happen in the past. The fundamental problem is the great wines, they need time. Time to be judged, time to be enjoyed. You cannot be tasting wines one at a minute uh, and to taste 100 wines in a day or to taste as some very famous prescriptors are so proud of 10,000, 12,000 wines a year. This is simply it's something very banal, very, very narrow. You need time, but we don't have this time. We need also to look at the economies of competitions, etc. The only way of overcoming partially this uh, shortage 
is by having frank discussions with people you trust, with people that you don't feel that you have to be in a defensive with them, and to accept that you may be wrong and that the collective knowledge is always much better than the addition of the individual knowledges. Interesting. It's um, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of common sense there. In terms of uh, the judge, I always say to my judges, "Tell me what you like about the wine, and then you can tell me what you didn't like about the wine." But don't start with the negative; start with the positive, because it's very easy to get a, a bit of negativity around a table. And uh, once it's there, it never, never goes away. Anyway, this yeah, amazing interview. To, um, we could talk for probably a couple of hours, but we'll get told off. I think what we should do is um, we can we can stop here and we can have another podcast with you um hopefully very soon and we can dig deeper into your extraordinary knowledge and your extraordinary way of explaining big issues very simply and very under no wonder you're an incredible educator um you know the way you talk is uh, very very effective and um i've really really enjoyed listening to you today it's been a privilege to be um so the person asking the questions really I just want to say thanks to Pedro. I want to say, hope to see you soon and um, we'll have another podcast, I promise, okay? When you want. It's, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Take it thanks easy. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.